Good evening, everybody. Again, it's great to be here and to um, share God's word with you. And we do pray and are praying that uh, you're all okay and staying home and staying safe as much as you can. And uh, we just continue to pray that God will you know, bring this thing to an end and that we can all get together and um, uh, just talk about these times and um, have some laughs. So let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for God watching over us. Father, thank you for being uh, with us during this this pandemic, God. And and we pray that you would cover those uh, that aren't sick, God, that you just keep your hand upon them. We pray for those that are sick, God, uh, that you would touch them. Father, you would heal them. Father, that you would comfort them during this this this. A strange time that we're in, Lord. But Father, let us be reminded, Lord, that uh, we have been, we have read and been taught for years, Lord, that that these strange times would come, God. It was not a matter of of, of if, but but when. And, and God, uh, here we are, and we do pray that all that we've learned about strength and faith and and growing, God, we would do it during this time, God, and reaching out to others, God, who may not know you, Father. And Lord, we pray that you would bless our time in our uh, in the seventh chapter of Esther here, Lord, and and God that you would be glorified and that we would be strengthened and that we would grow. We pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, open your Bibles to Esther chapter seven. Esther chapter seven. The title this evening is "Live Like a Fool, Die Like a Fool." When the king and Haman got Esther's uh, got to Esther's place in the palace, neither one of them knew that Esther was a Jewess. Haman was probably still worried about the the things that had happened that day, but he held himself together. He was composed to a, a certain point, and and he was hoping things, I'm sure, would get better, uh, and that he'd have a good time at the banquet. If he had known that the queen was a Jew. Haman would have uh, either run for his life or, or, had fall, or would have fallen on his face and, and begged the king to have mercy on him. And now Haman got to this place in his life because of his own doing. His life started to unravel because he didn't heed the warnings that God had given him through various situations. You know, through his counselors, through his wife. They warned him, they told him. But Haman wouldn't take the warning seriously. He probably felt like a lot of people do, you know, when they see the warnings of God or even the red flags that, oh, it'll never happen to me. And that's why God says in, in 1 John two fifteen and 16, not to love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and that's the point I want to talk about here, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Because the love of the world and the things in it, uh, it, it, it's inconsistent with the love of God. The the world takes away or takes away from from the heart of God. And so the more the love of the world abounds in us, the more the love of God fades away and decays. A shallow mind craves all the splendor and all the trappings and all the showiness of an empty, glorious life. This is ambition and thirst and honor and a desire for all these things and applause. These things our body craves must be rejected. 
They must be forsaken because they occupy and hold the affection and desire of our heart. Uh, They're not of the Father, but of the world. And Solomon said, Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though uh, Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. The Talmud says, Of every proud man, God says, He and I cannot live in the world together. The pride of sinners sets God against them. The man or a woman, the man or a woman who thinks more highly of themselves than they should, to the point that they become disrespectful in the way they act with God and man, they need to know that even though they admire themselves and others admire them, they are still an abomination to the Lord. The Almighty and Holy God despises and detests the proud. Now we know that God is patient, He is long suffering. And that made Haman think that everything was okay. And, and again, Solomon says, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Ecclesiastes 8.11. This is true about all sinners in general, and especially wicked rulers. Because judgment against their evil works is not carried out right away, They think, well, God doesn't see or God doesn't care or uh, they think it will never happen. So they they set their hearts to go full steam ahead to continue to do evil because they feel secure. They feel safe. They have no fear about doing evil whatsoever. You know, they, they, they just feel like they just do what they feel like doing. But know this, that judgment does come against all evil works and all evil workers by the righteous judge of heaven and earth even against the evil works of leaders and great men as well as men of lesser means and lesser status god's judgment is often prolonged he often you know waits before he brings judgment so all along that all all during that time the sinner just continues to sin he goes on not only unpunished but he's prosperous and successful many times and what seems to be like a free pass from from punishment it hardens the sinners in their sinfulness. And God's loving, long-suffering is disgracefully abused by many. Who they, instead of being led by uh, God's uh, grace and God's love to repentance, they're strengthened by it in their unrepentance. So sinners deceive themselves with this kind of thinking. Because even though judgment isn't carried out right away, it will be carried out even more severely in the end. Vengeance comes slowly, but you know what? It comes surely. And until it does, wrath is being stored up day by day for that day of judgment. Peter said, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And thank God for his long-suffering. How many of us wouldn't be saved tonight if God hadn't been long-suffering, if God hadn't been patient? But our sinful world thinks that God's long-suffering means that God doesn't care about anything that I do. That he won't judge sinners at all. But when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them and they shall not escape. So let's begin now with chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. And the word says, So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Up to half the kingdom, it shall be done. So Haman goes to the banquet that day. 
and, and, but, but his feelings are, are probably all jumbled up. He's excited and he's happy that the queen has invited him to dinner again. But he's still humiliated and uptight about the honor that, that he had to give to Mordecai. Haman at this time may not know why Mordecai was honored and not, not him instead. Esther at this point has gotten up enough courage after the second day to tell the king what was bothering her. To tell the king what was in her heart. She couldn't do it before. But now she's ready to step up to the plate, even though she's probably really, really nervous. This is now the third time that the king has asked the queen, Esther, what's on your mind? What's your petition? It'll be granted to you. The offer is still good today. I will give you up to half of the kingdom. Look at uh, Esther's answer in verse 3 and 4. She says, King, if I have found favor with you, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I could remain quiet, for that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. What she now tells the king was shocking and it was terrible. The king and Haman were stunned because neither one of them knew her nationality. What she asked was that her life and the lives of her people be spared. And when Mordecai entered her in that beauty contest, and when she had become queen, Mordecai had told her, look, Esther, don't tell anybody that you're a Jew. And so she kept that a secret all the way up to now. If you remember, Haman had gotten the king's approval that all the Jews in the kingdom were to be killed. But what the king didn't know was that the queen was a Jewess. So here, she's now identifying herself with her people. And she's now taking her place with her condemned people. For her to do this, to also identify herself uh, with, with the people and her religion... She's doing this now, and she's, re- she's identifying herself with her God because they both go together. She said to the king, you know, if, if me and my people were only going to be sold as slaves, she says, you know, maybe I could have remained quiet. Maybe I could have lived with that, you know, even though it would have brought about immeasurable damage uh, to, to, the, to the king and, and no amount of money could, uh, could begin to cover. Uh, but that's not... But that's not the problem, my king. The problem is we're going to be killed on a certain day. She wanted the king to know that the Jews had been betrayed and they were scheduled to die, scheduled to be slaughtered, wiped out as a people. The king was totally shocked when he heard this. You know, he's thinking, who would dare to try something like that to destroy the queen? And who would dare try to to destroy her people? What a shocking thing to hear, a disturbing thing to hear. He probably never expected to hear something like this. The queen and her people were to be killed. Again, hard to believe. Verse 5. So the king answered her and said, Queen Esther, who is he and where is he? Who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? Again, the king is stunned. He couldn't even imagine something like this could be taking place in his kingdom right under his nose. It's beyond his wildest dreams. And it seems that he doesn't even recognize yet the, who the people were to be destroyed. And, and, because, and here's why. Because 
he really has very little concern for life. And if you read the history about uh, Xerxes' battle with Greece, you'll find that he treated men like they were all disposable. He lost thousands and thousands of men in that battle, and it didn't bother him one bit. Human life was very cheap in that day. But what really bothers him right now is that they're they're Esther's people. You know, his queen is in serious danger. And so he asks Esther, who is this guy? Where is he? Who, who, Who would dare to even think about doing something like this? And I don't think the king has the faintest idea yet as to what's really going on. He didn't know that the order to wipe out the nation, uh, Israel, included the queen because he didn't know that she was a Jew. So here they are. There's the king at the banquet's table reclining on a couch with the prime minister, Haman, with all the full confidence and trust of the king. You know, he, he had faith and trust in Haman. Then King Ahasuerus pops the dreaded question. And can you, again, just this, try to put yourself in Haman's spot. He's sweating bullets, man. And now the king's going to pop the question, who's the one who came up with this plot? And now Esther shows her bravery. She's putting her life on the line by answering the queen's question, the king's question. And here's what she said in verse six. Notice the adversary and enemy is the wicked Haman. He must have died inside. So Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Haman, you know, he he has to be just sitting there speechless, knowing that it's all over. He has no answer. What could he say? What could he possibly say to the king that would get the king to understand or excuse what he had done? He's dumbfounded. Haman is dumbfounded to learn that Esther is a Jew. So God is moving behind the scenes. God is watching over his people. And as the Bible says, no weapon formed against Israel will prosper. God is going to bless those who bless the Jews, and he's going to curse those who curse the Jews. The providence of God is going to protect and preserve the children of Israel as it has all of these centuries to this this very day. Then verse 7 says, Then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine, and he went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before Queen Esther, pleading for his life, for he saw that evil was determined against him by the queen. He he knew what was going to happen. The king is so shocked at what he just heard that he gets up in a rage, and he leaves the room. And he goes out to walk, you know, in, in the palace garden to think about the things that he just heard. Think about it. He's part of this plan to a certain degree, all right, to wipe out the Jews because he gave Haman the okay to wipe them out. And if he hadn't found out about this plot against Esther and the Jews, he would have been just as guilty as Haman. So he goes outside to think this thing through. The king needed to think things through. He just couldn't believe that Haman would do such a thing. But the queen had begged and pleaded for her life because of Haman. uh, And because of Haman, he believed the queen. The king needed time to cool off. He needed to cool off a bit. He needed to get his head together so that he could think clearly about Esther's dilemma here and about Haman, his trusted advisor, at least up to now. While the king was walking in the garden, thinking these things over, Haman gets up. And he begins to beg for his life to Queen Esther. I mean, just picture him here, the position that he's in. 
this man who was so unconcerned and heartless about human life when it came to asking others to be put to death now becomes a slave. He humiliates himself. He grovels at her feet. He realizes that the king is not going to let this thing slide. And he knows that he's done for. He knows that the queen is his only hope. So he's beside himself here. He's extremely terrified. So he gets down on his knees in a defeated and cowardly way to beg the queen for his life. And then the king comes back from the palace garden. He comes back to the banquet room. And there's Haman who had fallen on the bed where the queen was. Look at verse 8. In despair, Haman fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining just as the king was returning from the palace garden. The king exclaimed, Will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? And as soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's face, signaling his doom. As Haman was begging and pleading with Queen Esther for his life, he could see that he was getting nowhere with her. He knew he was going to be punished for the evil thing that he had done. So in his madness, he began to, to pull himself up on her couch. I mean, he's desperate at this point. And remember, it was their custom to recline on couches while they ate. But as Haman is pulling himself up on her couch, the king walks in. And when he sees Haman and the queen, he says, you know, he says, Will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? See, the king looks at him and thinks, he, thinks he's assaulting, you know, uh, uh, the queen. And so as soon as the king said that, as soon as those words came out of the king's mouth, his attendants covered Haman's face. That's what it means by the signaling, signaling his doom. A veil would be put over the face of somebody that was condemned to death because Persian kings refused to look at the face of a condemned person. So that, 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 that signaling his doom was, was the attendants putting a veil over his face. So Haman, being the coward that he was, was clawing in terror on Esther's couch. He was beside himself with fear. The king basically says, what in the world is this man trying to do, you know, pawing at my queen? Now, did you notice that the king Ahasuerus didn't have to give an order to have Haman arrested? He didn't have to say, hey, guys, put him under arrest. The king just came in from the garden. He saw what was going on, and he made the statement. Again, he made the statement. Will even uh, he assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? And as soon as those words came out of the king's mouth, the, 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 the guards knew exactly what to do. They, they jumped up, and uh, they knew exactly what to do. They went into action. It's interesting to see that the servants didn't make a move, though, until the king spoke. They were simply standing by. They were watching and waiting. You see, the queen had not yet called for any help. She was too afraid to call for help. But when the king spoke those words, the servants stepped in. They grabbed Haman. They took him outside and they arrested him. Verses 9 and 10. Now Harbona, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look! The gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. Then the king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. The king didn't waste any time. 
The king wasn't just the arresting officer in this situation. He was also the judge and the jury. Haman did the same. Haman died the same night on the same gallows that he had built for Mordecai. The way Haman lived is the way Haman died like a fool. Now, here's the takeaway from this. Here's the lesson from this great truth that you will find all through the Bible. Paul said it to the believers in Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that also will he reap. We would say it like this today. Every dog has his day. Or the chickens have come home to roost. Or what goes around comes around. And that's exactly what Haman now is experiencing. And it's interesting that the very same gallows that Haman built to hang an innocent man on is the very same gallows that he was hanged on. Now, Jacob, remember, Jacob had the, had this same experience when he deceived his father. You know, Jacob thought that he was such a clever young man, and young men always think they're clever. But uh, he, 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 he thought he was very clever. He puts on his, his brother Esau's clothes, and his father, who's old, uh, you know, and, and, and couldn't see very well, old Isaac smelled the clothes, and he said to Jacob, it smells like my son Esau. Then Jacob put the goat skin on his, ha- on his hands. And, and old blind Isaac reached out and, and touched his arm and said, well, it feels like my son Esau. It smells like my son Esau, so it must be Esau. Jacob thought he was so smart and that he was going to get away with his deceitful behavior. And even though he was God's man, God did not let Jacob get away with what he had done. He didn't let him get away with his deception. One day when Jacob was old, and he had, you know, and, and was the father of 12 sons, they took Joseph's coat of many colors that Jacob had made for him. They dipped it in goat's blood, and they said to Jacob, is this your son's coat? And old Jacob broke down, and he wept. He was also deceived about his favorite son. Paul knew personally about how this worked out in his own life. Paul was the man who probably gave the orders to stone Stephen. They put their clothes at the feet of Paul because he was in charge. But he didn't get away with it. You might say, wait a minute, though, but Paul got saved. And he came to know Christ. And he was forgiven for all of his sins, which is true. His sins were forgiven. But, again, whatever a man sows, that's what's going to grow. That's what's going to come up. That's what he's going to reap. Paul had a harvest, and he reaped, reaped what he had done. His seed did come up. On his first missionary journey, he was in Lystra, where they stoned him and left him for dead. Paul had experienced the truth of these words that whatever a man sows, that he will also reap, because God is not mocked. And Haman, here in our story, is experiencing the same thing. He learned it the hard way. Here's a man who went to a banquet, not knowing that it was his last meal. The psalmist said in Psalm 37, 35 through 36, I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree, yet he passed away and behold, he was no more indeed. I sought him, but he could not be found. Exactly what happened to Haman. A wicked man in great power, trying to spread himself like a green tree. Again, he intended to remove uh, King Ahasuerus from the throne and be the king. And yet here he's, he's hung on these gallows, he's passed away, and he's no more. He can't be found. Listen to what the psalmist is saying here in Psalm 37. It's interesting. He's saying, little man, you can have your day. And you can be a big man. And you can live like the devil if you want to. 
You can fight against God's plan and purpose for you and your life. But one day, it's all going to come to an end. You won't defeat God. Because you're going to disappear from this life. And that's what happened to Haman. And we all deserve the same judgment that Haman got. And you might say again, but wait a minute. I've never committed a crime like that. You don't have to. The problem is that you and I just happen to have the same human nature that Haman had, which is rebellion against God, which is opposed to God. So you, are, you and I have the same potential for, even that, for evil that Haman had, and, and even worse. So you and I stand guilty before God as sinners. Paul said in Romans 3.23, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of, of God. Paul said in Romans 3.19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So in that condition, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Jesus died for us. He took our place on the cross. And if we will trust him, he will be our savior. John said in Revelation chapter 1, 10 through 18, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. And then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw one like the son of man clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded to about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth went a sharp two edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, John says, notice when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. That's where we want to be. We want to be in John's place. And here's the other side of that coin. Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15. John says, Then I saw a great white horse and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was no place, there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. The death and, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Man, you want to be at that place before the Father in the grace of Jesus Christ where we will receive eternal life. You don't want to be found in this place in Revelation 20 where you're at the great white throne judgment because everyone that did not know Christ was thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire, if you don't know, is a place of darkness and separation. Separation from God. And, and, and I believe that's what's going to make it hell. Separated from God for all eternity. It's a place of never-ending torment. And, and, and I think part of that torment is going to be remembering how many times I had a chance to receive Christ. How many times I heard the word of God that, that, that called for me to repent and that I was a sinner 
and that I needed Christ in order to get into the kingdom of God. I needed his righteousness. So if you play the fool like Haman did, God's going to be your judge. He's going to be your jury, and he's going to be your executioner, just like Ahasuerus was to Haman. And you, too, will experience an insane fear like Haman. Now, again, I ask you to, 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 to look at Haman and the, and the place that he was in. Notice, you know, what he was going through and, and, and his begging and his pleading and his fear. Because one day, that man or woman that knows not God is going to be doing the very same thing. Because on that day, when you stand before God, Without Christ, you are going to be groveling at the feet of the Father. You will be crying convulsively. You will be hysterically pleading and begging for God's forgiveness. Begging God for just one more chance. Trembling uncontrollably with fear. And without a doubt, I believe that that it will be a very sincere repentance. I believe you you will be serious and mean every word of it. But without a doubt, your sincerity and repentance will be too late. And God's answer will be to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So in closing, just a common belief or an intellectual agreement, I guess you could say, just a belief that that that, that won't save you. Just saying, you know, I believe that, there's a, that there was a Christ. I believe that I believe in God. I just a, a casual, you know, belief. That's not going to save you. That's not going to get you into the kingdom of God. If that's all that you have, it surely won't save you. Even if you hold a, an official position or, 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 or official service to God, it doesn't matter what your status in life is. Remember, there were people in in Matthew chapter 7, verse uh, 21 through 23, that said, Lord, 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 Lord. Not only that, they said what we did, we did in your name. Everything that we did, God, we did for you. We did in your name. We, we, We preached in your name. We prophesied in your name. But all of the preaching in the world will not save the preacher if he doesn't practice it. It will not save the Christian if he doesn't practice it. That person may even be successful. They said, hey, we cast out many demons in your name. So we see that they were successful in what they were doing. And yet, without personal holiness, which the Bible says you will not see God, no one will see God. The one casting out devils will be cast out himself. That success that they were boasting about it, it there may have been some neat times some like i said some some success and and some surprising occasions surprising events and all of those were done in christ's name and yet the man or woman may be unknown to christ three times the person says that they did it in his name we preached you know we prophesied we preached we cast out demons in your name lord And yet the Lord, whose name they used so freely, so it seems comfortably and securely, so boldly, they didn't know a thing about Jesus. And Jesus would not allow them to remain in his presence. Because the Lord cannot tolerate being in the presence of those who call him Lord, Lord, and yet they do do evil. They work in wickedness. 
They professed to Christ that they knew him. But then he professed to them, I never knew you. And that is in terms of a personal relationship. This is a serious and important reminder to all of us and to others. Nothing will prove us to be true Christians, but a sincere doing of the Father's will. We might be known by everybody around us to have, a, to have great spiritual power, to be very spiritual. And, and, and yet, our Lord, He may not claim us as His own on that day that we stand before Him. And He may drive us out of His presence as impostors because, again, He cannot tolerate sin to be in His presence. So it, it would be very important that you would understand that. And that it takes more than just a casual belief in Christ. It takes a belief that, that, that goes deep into your heart that wor- is worked out in your life. And the evidence of that belief is seen in the way that you live and the way that you speak, the things that you do, and the love that you have for Christ. He says, if you love me, obey me. That's the litmus test. Do you obey Christ? Do you obey his will? Do you follow his will? Because that is, again, the test that we truly do love us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this great chapter, God, and the lessons learned from it, Lord. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for, we thank you for your, your long-suffering, Lord. Father, we thank you that you, you haven't closed the, the, the age of grace yet, God. We know that you are wanting many more to come to repentance, God. We know that you don't want anyone to perish, Lord. And Father, right now, especially during this, this pandemic, Lord, when, when, when this, this virus takes hold of somebody and you know, many survive and, and, and many don't, God. And Lord, I pray for those that don't know you right now, God. And if you know, you're watching and you, know, you, you don't know where you might spend eternity, you need to know, you need to be assured that you will be in eternity when that day comes to, to stand before God. God forbid it's, it's a result of the virus or, or any other thing that, that might bring an end to your life here on earth because without Christ, he'll, he'll, and when you stand before him, he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. You don't want to hear those words. You want to say, you want to hear, enter in my good and faithful servant. So receive Christ as your Lord and Savior by confessing to him, I am a sinner and I have sinned and that I have, and that I need to be cleansed and that you want to receive him by faith into your heart and you want to live for him. You want to walk with him and you want the Holy Spirit to come into your life and that uh, again, you would be born again. And you'd have that assurance that on that day that you stand before him, that God will say, hey, enter in my good and faithful servant. So, Father, we love you. We praise you. We give you honor and glory. And we continue to pray for the church family, that God, you would keep them covered. And that God, again, that you would intervene in in this land and you'd bring this, this plague to an end. We thank you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.